Three is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission, B.C., focused on being church with mission in mind. We acknowledge that we gather, live, play, and worship on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation. We are your hosts, Greg Elford and Jess Steffick, and this is the Repodcast the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. There's something throughout scripture that these things exist for God. Like the Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I think we're, we're raised sometimes in some evangelical churches to say the earth is ours and everything in it. <laughs> so the point is that the whole earth is the Lord's. And so we should um, just as like, if somebody gives you something precious to look after while they're on a trip, um, we should like, we should look after it well. Many of us have had experiences where the natural world has stirred inspiration in us, where wonder has been palpable, or where we felt reduced to childlike awe at an intricacy in a piece of the land that we see often and missed seeing just as much. Today we are carrying on the conversation about God, the land, ourselves, and all the interplay between, and to widen our expression of these themes, we turn to Leah Costamo. Leah is the spiritual care coordinator and co-founder of Arasha Canada. She finds her place near the border between the U.S. and Canada on a farm that serves as the backdrop for ministry, education, and scientific study, all aimed at redeeming and inspiring an accessible rediscovery of our own groundedness with the creator of the creation we're a part of. Well, welcome, Leah. It is great to have you here and to see you over a Zoom screen. We're thankful that you've joined us and for your willingness to share um, what we see as some expert knowledge on this topic of creation care. So to kick us off, Leah, would you tell us a little bit about you, whatever you kind of think is maybe meaningful to share or give us a little bit of a, a look into your life? We'd love to hear. Thanks. It's great to be with you all. And I commend your church on this adventure of diving into this topic. Um, so I am, uh, I'm from the States originally, but I, I came here um, to do a master's at Regent College. And I, I've come to this place of love for creation care, both from my childhood experience of being out in creation a lot, both in my home state of Arizona, but then also on Orcas Island. Uh, where my grandparents lived off near Seattle. Um, and then when I was at Regent College, the founders of Arasha, Peter and Miranda Harris, who founded it back in the 80s in Portugal, um, were, were two of my pro professors, sorry. And you might hear my cat in the background <laughs> because this is a creation podcast. <laughs> yeah, it seems very appropriate. Yeah, please. The cat's invited. 
What's the cat's name out of curiosity? Her name is Mary. Okay, we'll be sure to include Mary in the credits. Yes. <laughs> so um, the combination of my love for creation as a kid growing up and then um, understanding while I was at Regent College, um, the biblical basis for creation care uh, just drew me to this place where, where I could do this as a vocation, where I've done... My husband and I helped start Arasha in Canada um, about 20 years ago, and I've done everything from making soup and making beds to being the comms director. And now I'm the spiritual care coordinator, leading retreats and mentoring and different things. So um, it's been a wonderful journey with this organization and just this the journey of creation care in general. If I could jump in for a second there. Um, so you say Ar Arasha is I'd love to hear where the name came from. And and while we're at it, if you're open to ex explaining how you normally tell someone what it is for listeners that have never heard of Arasha, that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Arasha is a Portuguese name because that's where it started. And when the very first center uh, was at a place called Quinta de Arasha, which means farm on the rock. And the founders thought, wow, what a great, name because Arasha, the rock, is Jesus in our faith. And then Arasha, the rock, is is geology, kind of the literal foundation of the sciences. So for an organization that was interested in both science and Christian faith, it seemed like the perfect name, which it totally is in Portuguese-speaking countries. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're saddled with this funny name, but it it can be a conversation starter. Like, what in the world does that name mean? Or how do you say it? Um, here in Canada, we do three main things out of an environmental center here, one in um, near Winnipeg, and then one in Ontario. So we have three centers across Canada. We do environmental education, sustainable agriculture, and conservation science uh, research and projects. So it's a bit broad, um, and we have a pretty big team here in BC, about uh, 30 people working on our team. Well, that, that kind of helps give a bit of a better picture of maybe what life looks like over there. Um, maybe I'd love to just hear a little bit more at times when COVID is not maybe restricting um, people all being in the same place. What, what actually goes down at your center here in BC? Um, what's like a, a, an image of what's happening at that place? Yeah, I tell people um, if they could imagine the Sierra Club... Uh, meets a youth hostel um, and then wrap the whole thing in Christian hospitality. <laughs> you have a little bit of idea of what we're doing. It's a, it's a 40 acre, no, 27 acre property. Um, we have a farm. So we grow a lot of vegetables and run a CSA, which is called, which is a community supported agriculture where people get like a bin of veggies. So growing lots of food during the growing season, all organically grown. We have over 2000 school kids that come every year on field trips or day camps. So they're doing just place-based learning, exploring the forest and the river and um, the gardens. And then, um, and then we're doing science projects. So we're, we're doing habitat restoration projects. So basically planting native plants, removing invasive species, not just on our property, but throughout the watershed. Um, and then just monitoring species at risk. So species that are in danger of heading towards 
extinction. Maybe they're not there yet, but um, so that looks like looking at swallow nests and counting toads and like the nuts and bolts of, of wildlife um, science kind of stuff. Wow, I didn't realize it was that broad in scope, but I'm even more excited about where we can go in this conversation. Um, I'd love if you could help us with the language in which we talk about it, because we use phrases like creation care, and sometimes that conjures up images of like teams from churches picking up garbage or something, and kind of really only scratches the surface, I think, of what we really could be talking about as far as a theology of how we interact with the material world if we believe in a creator. And so I'm 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 curious from that lens how you would dis- how you would describe um even the terminology of creation care or like what would you call the theology that sort of respects the scientific approach? Um can you help us with some language there? Mhm. I mean, lots of people talk about a creation theology. Like we have a, in Christianity, we have a redemption theology around Christ. Um, So a creation theology um, really just affirms the theology of a creator and what that means. And, and the fact that, that the creator becomes the creation in the incarnation kind of changes everything because matter you no longer have this sort of Gnostic dualistic idea that spiritual is good, matter is bad. They're very different because in Jesus, you have material and spiritual fused together. And and even in the post-resurrection Jesus, you still have wounds and he actually eats. Um, So there is some, it's our only picture of what, the redemption of creation, which is talked about in Romans 1 and Colossians, not Romans 1, um, Colossians 1 and Romans 8, what that's going to look like is somehow in the person of Christ, that he's this new body that can walk through walls, but he also can eat a piece of bread <laughs> and he still has wounds. So um, so that's getting a little off track, but that's the, that's the theological basis for it, that it's not just... Um, people who are really like to wear Birkenstocks or like to go camping as their holiday of choice. This is rooted in a theology, um, both in Genesis and the creation story, but also in the person of Christ and his materialness of the, the creator becoming creation. One of the places our community has been going uh, this month is uh, a conversation around past, present, future, restoration of new creation and looking looking ahead at a new created order a place where the tree from the garden of eden is kind of uh represented in a way where we see this urban space that has the paradise of eden kind of rooted in it and obviously imagery like that can take us in so many different directions but um love love the way that you're helping us see that in the present there's an access point because of the person of of Jesus and the way that I like how you said the the word that it fuses together the material and the spiritual. So Lee, I love um, this idea of Jesus actually being like well, it's it's kind of funny. It's obvious to me as a Christian. It's like of course Jesus is a part of creation care, but I think in my mind, 
um, it's always started at Genesis and maybe like been touched on a little bit in the Psalms because the mountains are nice and they declare the glory of the Lord and all of that. Um, I'd love to hear maybe your take on like how this idea of um, being caretakers of the land or uh, this theology of creation care, what does that look like for you starting kind of in Genesis 1, the first chapter? Um, but I do want to touch more about kind of this idea of Jesus um, later on, but just as like a theology of creation 101, what does Genesis 1 have to say about it? Yeah. Um, well, Genesis 1, I think you can't talk about Genesis 1 without Genesis 2. Um, so Genesis 1 is, you know, you shall have dominion over the earth. Um, and then Genesis 2 unpacks Genesis 1 in lots of ways, like God created humans. And then in Genesis 2, it's like, oh, well, there's two of them and it looks like this. And um, so in Genesis 2, it talks about um, that the, the humans were given the charge to, in Hebrew, abad and shamar. Those are the two words in Hebrew. Um, to care and to keep the earth. So it's like, this is what godly dominion looks like. It looks like caring and keeping. And that second word, shamar, um, is not used often in the Bible, to keep. Um, but it's, it's kind of a gardening kind of word, like to tend, to take care of. And it's used in Aaron's blessing where it says where uh, Aaron's supposed to, or Moses through Aaron is supposed to pray over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. So it's this sense of not may the Lord have dominion over you and abuse you and rape and pillage you. <laughs> it's may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. It's the keeping is a careful flourishing kind of keeping. So um, yeah, if you take dominion out of context, even though that word also is used later for like the Lord serve, it's like a serving kind of dominion. So um it's our Western way where we want to be above, you know, so much above creation that we interpret dominion in a, in a Western imperialistic top down kind of way, instead of a Hebrew way, which is understanding land as gift, understanding land as something to be cherished. Um, that's a whole other story of how agriculture and land works in the old Testament. Um, but it doesn't mean use and ab abuse. <laughs> yeah. It also, it sounds quite like relational, like care and, and keep. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm assuming that's how one would think of their child. Right, Greg? Is that, is that how you think of your children? Well, sometimes I don't care and I don't want to keep them, but no, just kidding. Yeah, of course. But yeah, that sounds quite maybe more relational than I've understand this like dominion as I've kind of grown up hearing. Um, what does it maybe look like to be relational with the land? What does that, what does that mean to you or what does that look like? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, well, I think relationships are based in knowing, first of all, like it's not, if I just treated a friend just for what I need from them, like, oh, you're going to give me this, you're going to do this for me the relationship isn't going to last very long or it's not going to be very satisfying. I have to get to know them. Like, what do they care about? What are their, what are their needs? What are their interests? So I think the 
first step um, in creation care is really knowing your place. So what are the native species there? What are the birds that come through? What are the, um, what are the, these diseases on my trees? Are they, why are they here? <laughs> um, so getting to know a place allows for the affection because relationships are built on affection. So knowing a place then gives a foundation for feeling something for it, for that caring. Um, the caring can't come from ideas though. It has to come from interaction. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. Um, a, a helpful picture. I'm, I'm sort of, imagining how um the spectrum of response to that idea looks and sort of thinking like well we all know people that kind of really love their connection with creation but that's just not me like if if someone's saying that and i'm not saying that about myself i i, I don't see myself that way but if someone's saying you know that's that's not me like that's part of the body of christ and we all kind of have our different little angles on things is this something that's kind of um in your view uh something we we can kind of choose like it's it's maybe some of us like this focus but it's not it's not necessarily a theology that relates to everyone the way say something that would happen inside of us would or the way that our hearts could be changed would toward people for example yeah well i think I think we get tripped up because we all have different vocational callings. Like it's not everybody's calling to become an, a full-time environmentalist, just like it's not everybody's calling to go do relief work in, in a country that doesn't have water, for example, but it's every Christian's calling to care for what's on the heart of God um, and to have it matter to them, whether or not they spend the majority of their time working on it or not. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would just say take baby steps and understanding. If it's not your bag, you know, then you don't have to spend all your time doing it. But curiosity might open up something for you because as humans, we all breathe air and we all drink water and we all eat food. And we all live on land. <laughs> so we're all interacting with the environment by what we eat and drink and where we live and what we do with our waste all day, every day. So it's not like some people aren't into creation. Everything that breathes is into creation. It's just, does it excite me or not? Does it matter to me or not? Um, is, is, is a fair question. And it doesn't have to totally matter to you, but... Um, but starting with curiosity, I think is a good place. No, I, I think that, I think that's a great answer and it makes me think of the way kids, and I think more so like across the spectrum or more so across the spectrum, most kids, uh, don't, it doesn't take much for wonder and joy and, um, and they become enamored with the smallest to us, like as adults, we sometimes see them as the smallest things in creation that are just fascinating to a kid. Um, and it seems like you're painting the picture of an opportunity to be caught off guard by things that we're missing. Is that a fair way? Like, is that what happens on a field trip sometimes at Arosha where people are like, wow, I didn't realize how, jaded I've become or how 
I'm curious how people respond to some of these challenges. Yeah. Well, I'll tell two quick stories. One is just after a field trip with kids, I was writing a little article about their experience. And these were all kids who were from the Wally area of Surrey. So a more um, underserved and kids who don't get out into green spaces that much. And, uh, oh my goodness, <laughs> asking them, what was your, how was it? How was it being out there? And they were like, oh, I felt like a superhero. That was such an adventure. And literally all they were doing was turning over logs and looking for bugs. Like just looking at sat little sow bugs. And you would have thought they were describing like scaling mountains and because just they had never been out in a, anything but really a park. So a wild setting to them, I think reconnected them to their kind of creatureliness and it felt really good. Um, another story is so I was leading this retreat and this fellow named Willie, who was a hydrologist was part of it. And I was sending everybody out um, as part of this contemplative prayer exercise. And they were just supposed to encounter one part of creation, like one tree, one flower, one whatever, and just be with it and see what was stirred within them. And then at the end, turn that into kind of a conversation with God about that thing. Um, and so he went and stood on this little bridge over the Little Campbell River on, on our property. And he told the story and he actually had tears running down his face. Here's a guy who's been outside a lot in his life. And just sitting there for like, I said, they had to do it for a half hour, just contemplating water. He said to me and to the group, he said, I don't think I've ever seen water before. And it moved him, I think, because of wonder, like what you were talking about before for kids, like he had become so functioning, like just creation was was something that helped him do his job. And suddenly he encountered it as this created thing by a really marvelous creator who would, who would make something like water. <laughs> um, and it just moved him. So it takes time to, to really encounter something, I think. And, and this guy in his 50 something years had never really encountered water before. Wow. Um, this is not the full question I want to ask, but just to touch on that, Leah, do you find that um, this this kind of perspective of, of seeing nature as it is right in front of you, like one kind of piece at a time, is that like a default setting for you now? Or is that still something that you have to be consciously kind of um, aware of or interacting with uh, creation in a way like that? Or has it become a bit of second nature? Um, oh, no, I think I definitely have to be conscious of it. Like when I look out and if something's strikingly beautiful, like the light on the trees at sunset, you know, that's default. Mm -hmm. I think that's most people's default to appreciate anything to do with sunsets. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I can struggle with anxiety, I can, um, I can be preoccupied with planning things. And so the deliberate slowing down, taking a deep breath, looking around, paying attention. Um, I definitely still have to be deliberate about it. Though so there's a joke within Arasha, we'll be having meetings and somebody will say, oh, what, is that a Northern Flicker that just 
flip on here. So, so it is, there is an instinct though, for like, if interesting wildlife or birds or like mm. any meeting will be stopped for the appearance of an interesting bird um, that flies by the window. <laughs> so that takes some getting used to for people who aren't maybe, you know, quite initiated yet into the Arusha yeah. culture. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I think just to listen to the way you're describing your angle on the topic, it it's so obvious that it's an opportunity that you're describing. And I don't hear like, the sense of shaming people for being bad environmentalists or, but more that there's, there might be something that the kid in each of us want, should want to recover be, for our own sake. And I guess one of the things that I'd love your perspective on, and I wonder if you run into this when, when people who and for good reason have some focus on a particular theology or whatever, where they think like the only thing that really matters is is how we're tracking with people and where where their eternal destiny kind of sits like who cares about a tree if someone's eternal destiny is sort of so and uh, so I'm just curious like how you connect those things or whether there's a fusion kind of like we talked about the intersection in that's in Jesus there how do you fuse kind of those themes together for people or help people see it more holistically? Yeah. Well, first off to say that that is definitely the perspective that I came from working in campus ministry and um, that, that Christianity was about people and people's eternal destinies. Um, and then it was really reading um, Colossians one while I was at Regent and especially the influence of a theologian named N.T. Wright. Um, and in that passage in Colossians 1, 15 through 19-ish, um, where it says, you know, all things were created through him, talking about Jesus, through him, all things hold together, through Christ, all, God is reconciling all things to himself through Christ. And so I remember where I was sitting in the class when, when the prof was like, what do you think all things applies to? And in my mind, I'm like, well, all things, it means all people. But then that word is like cosmos. It's like all things. And then it says things on heaven and things on earth. <laughs> um, and it was like, oh, all things means all things. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> um, and even Paul and talking about creation groaning, um, for the redemption, um, for its own redemption and through the revelation of the sons of men. Um, Paul there is just talking about what people believed in around him. Like it's just common belief. He doesn't even have to really unpack it because it's like everybody knew that, that um, when it says in revelations, I am making all things new, that that meant the recreation or redemption of things, not I am making all new things, not like I'm going to wipe it all out and start all over. Um, yeah. So then in, in Jesus, you have the first fruits of that, like I talked about earlier. Um, and, oh, there's so many places to go with Jesus and who he was and just how he spent most of his life outside and how he was getting a lot of, of um solace like you never have a verse that says 
Jesus was tired, so he threw his prayer shawl over his head and hunkered down in the corner of the room and prayed. You always have, he got up early in the morning and went outside to pray. Like half the time his disciples don't know where he is because he's off praying someplace, <laughs> but he's always praying outside. He's never praying inside. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you have the Old Testament people, you know, meeting God in the form of a raven or a gentle wind or a burning bush or just God is showing up not as creation, but in creation. People are encountering God all over the place throughout the Bible. And that, that sort of seems like a, a differentiation that you were wanting to make clear there that God isn't showing up as creation, but in creation is that is that on purpose that you picked that language? Like, is there a, a difference? Yeah. I mean, I think when we're in creation, there's a settledness in us. We recognize that we're creatures amongst other creatures. Um, and that there is this, there's a worshipfulness, not of the creation, but of the creator who made it all. So the settledness isn't like, oh, I've just encountered God is this tree. But the awe and majesty of, of the tree points to the awe and majesty of God. Um, yeah, and that's just basic Christian theology. Um, and Arasha is, yeah, not trying to usurp that at all, but to meet God um, in and through creation, but not supplant if that's a word, subplant. <laughs> um, I think it's a it's it's not about plants, but you mean turn upside down or re replace or yeah. <laughs> not turn that upside down. Yeah. So um, there's an instinct that's that's I think healthy about like wanting to keep God in God's rightful place. So just acknowledging that, um, but that. Caring for creation doesn't have to lead us to that place. It actually leads us closer to God rather than away from God. This is The Read Podcast, and today we're inviting Leah Costamo, the co-founder and spiritual care coordinator of Arasha Canada, to help us build a biblical foundation for a theology of creation. She invites us to step into awe as we encounter God both in and through creation as a stepping stone for a changed perspective. I think what would be cool is to describe some of the practices that our friends were talking about that they are doing with the land, um, like saying good night to the land every night and um, thanking the land for the lettuce when my friend picks it from her garden, like just be like expressing gratitude to the land for things. Um, and, like for me, I feel it's pretty comfortable if I take the hierarchy out of creation. I thank um, a pet for the way it provides comfort, and I certainly thank other humans 
for the way that they, um, I don't have to say, well, I'm worshiping them if I thank them, you know, and it's like, you know, but like I thank my wife for doing things and I don't think I'm worshiping her when I do that. But um, yeah, so I think you were talking a bit about how learning to know something, learning to know someone develops a an affinity or a gratitude and a wonder what makes it worship do you think or how does worship connect into uh the topic um well that's a great question you know because scientists do the same thing scientists it's all about naming it's adam's first task is to name the creatures and that's what scientists are doing it's like this creature's here there's this much population of it, this is how it's declining. Um, a person of faith then takes that same information and not only gives thanks, but um, I don't know, I think worship, there's a little bit of an emotional quality to it. It's like the heart expands a bit. It's like, oh, it's this, I mean, it's called awe for a reason. <laughs> so the scientist, of which there are plenty of like wonderful Christian scientist is interested in data. Worship is the translation of data, like through the lens of awe, like it's data through the lens of awe, maybe. Um, so that the, um, the heart soars, there's like an orientation towards the bigness and goodness of God for everything that we're seeing or studying. Um, it's not necessary. I don't think worship's necessary to do good science. It just makes it more fun, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, Leah, you've kind of touched on this, um, like, here and there throughout our chatting. Um, but I'm, I'm just wondering, is there a kind of clear idea for you um, based on your reading of Scripture or kind of your studies in theology? Is there a clear idea about how God sees creation? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, if you track even creation words through the Bible, it's the, there's over a thousand verses in the Bible that mention either creation or parts of creation from trees to animals. So it's, it's in there a lot. Um, I'd say two, two passages that kind of frame it for me is just the covenant um, after the flood with Noah that that covenant is not just with people. It says, this is the covenant I am making with you and all of creation. So God's care is not just for the people, but for all, he says, for all of creation. And then the second thing is in um, a passage in Hosea, which is kind of a, it's not a fun passage. <laughs> it's, it's a condemning passage. It's um, there's no faithfulness, there's no love of, in the land, adultery and murder are happening. And then it says, there's this hinge verse and it says, because of this, the land mourns. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea are dying. It is such an interesting passage because it starts with human greed and sin. It's like there's lying, there's adultery, it says bloodshed falls, bloodshed. <laughs> it's this very stark passage. And then it says, because of this, the land mourns. So it's a radical passage because it's saying God is caring about the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and he's laying um, responsibility on humans for their suffering. 
So God cares about the suffering of the land and the animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a lot of people, I think they don't even know that that's in the Bible. (laughs) Um, And then it goes throughout scripture. Those are just two dramatic passages about it, but it's a theme that's woven throughout scripture. It just hasn't been what we have emphasized um, recently in evangelical churches. Yeah. You know, that's kind of reminding me something that, uh, I, I guess a shift that happened in me a couple years ago, um, is thinking about the way God, or yeah, I guess references human impact on the land and the created order. I always found growing up that when I read passages, mostly in the old Testament, how there was, um, so much imagery with farming and with the land and all of kind of those metaphors really meant nothing to me. And like, often I would skip them and often I would just kind of like shove them off. And even though I was raised in Alberta, so there's plenty of farming around, they just didn't touch down for me. And it wasn't until I had a close friend, um, at Bible college who kind of came from a farming family and, and his family has had a farm his whole life. And, for him, that's kind of how the Bible actually came alive was through these images of God working through the land, healing the land, fruit being produced from the land, because growing up, his his life depended on the land, like being in that good relationship with the land. And for me, I was like, that was neither here nor there. Like I was going to go to Superstore and get my food. <laughs> um, so I, that's really, I think that's... Um, I guess a challenge that I've been working with is uh, maybe not passing by that scripture, but still seeing that God has been uh, working with humans in and through the land uh, throughout scripture. But then I'm like, oh, I guess there must be something there for us now. <laughs> I guess God, God is not done there. So I, I, I like, um, yeah, those images that you've brought up. That's helpful for me, for sure. It, it, makes me want to jump to a question that I'm, I've been thinking about from our last podcast where our guest, Chris Mormon, had talked about an indigenous belief. And I think it may have been even one of the values of the, of the place-based learning that's rooted in, in indigenous belief that um, all created order has spirit. And I found that that like, was a challenging one for me. And not not I don't feel like I have a hard fast opinion on it but I am curious from your perspective especially when we reference like Hosea and like the the covenant in Exodus or in Gen- Genesis rather and how God is interacting with his creation um do you think it's fair to recognize sort of a spiritual level in matter like, I'm curious how a scientific mind looks at something like that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't have a scientific mind. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. <laughs> um, I was trained in religious studies and creative writing. So. Okay, um, yeah. So I can't answer it from that point of view. I can answer it more from a theological point of view. Great. And also my theology Um, I'm able to hold mystery pretty easily now, whereas in my 20s, 30s, 40s, um, I would have wanted things to be a little bit more black and white. But now, if I don't understand it, I don't know if 
Augustine said this or Anselm or who said this, but they said, you know, your God is always bigger than your ideas of God. Um, and if you can think it, something about God, then it's probably you're off the mark. <laughs> Anytime you try to nail it down. So all that, all those caveats to just say, I don't really understand it, but I know that, that um, there's a lot about quantum physics that is like kind of opening theologians minds to, you know, where we used to think in Newtonian physics that there's matter and energy and they're totally different. So it's kind of like there's spirit and then there's material, you know, like in that framework. But now in this quantum framework, it's like, oh, no, matter is just condensed energy. Um, and there's something, there's something like relational about everything, that everything affects everything else. Um, and so I, I just approach it more with curiosity. Is there like, is the spirit of God somehow moving in the world I don't know I'm so beyond what I even understand about it but I so it's more like I just have these little pieces <laughs> and I don't know how to put the puzzle together but the pieces I could label quantum physics um god <laughs> the spirit um and so I think my own sense of wonder and worship and creation comes from like these big questions of like god is at work I don't understand how quantum physics seems to be true. That's weird. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, and instead of leaving me to go like, oh, I can't even believe, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I'm more like it keeps opening vistas into a more relational encounter with God of creation. Um, I don't know if that's even an answer for you. It's more like an unanswer. <laughs> yeah, which I guess is maybe the ultimate answer i don't know like mm. it, it's i love i love the humility that that um approaches all of this with the willingness uh to create room for the great mystery is exactly what um in our previous podcast our other guest is calling god these days and and so that's that's fascinating and i think as we think about um created order outside of humans having spiritual connection with god's spirit it just changes for me the um importance of that created matter uh like that there's something deeper going on than something that that that's just one level it's one dimensional and so that's where i'm a bit attracted to it because i'm just looking for ways to define or to maybe point to why some of the interactions I've had with the natural environment have been so profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that when you look into a dog's eyes, it's like, hmm, something's happening here, like between us or in them or, and even if like dogs don't have souls, you know, like if we're just going to boil this down to that basic question, <laughs> um, there's something throughout scripture that these things exist for God. Like the Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I think we're, we're raised sometimes in some evangelical churches to say the earth is ours and everything in it. <laughs> so whether or not we can commune with our pet dog because they have a soul or not is 
is almost beside the point. The point is that the dog is God's <laughs> and not ours. And the whole earth is the Lord's. And so we should, um, just as like, if somebody gives you something precious to look after while they're on a trip, um, we should like, we should look after it well. Yeah. That's even making me think, um, just kind of, yeah, I guess jumping to this idea of what do we do with all of this, um, I guess, foundation for a theology of creation care. Um, for me, it, when I think of creation as like this wonderful gift of God that God both uses to show God's self to me and also provides for me and has been placed under or not under, if we're trying to get away from that hierarchy language, but placed as a, a relationship for me to have while I'm here, it takes away some of that anxiety that sometimes creeps in for me. That's like, I must, I must do, like, I must take care of the earth. I must recycle everything. I must never buy anything new. And, and all of those, you know, good things, but that come from this place of anxiety, like um, that kind of paralyzes me sometimes. And, it, and sometimes makes it difficult to know where to start because you just feel overwhelmed but this idea of of awe and relationship and I guess just like overall goodness that can be found when when we're conscious of of the created world around us and God's role in it for me it makes it more accessible because it kind of just it, it starts with my paying attention and with my kind of willingness to be in relationship and and be changed by it. So for me, that's that's really helpful and something I'm taking away. But maybe from you, Leah, um, as we're kind of wrapping up a little bit here. Um, what's maybe, what's maybe a perspective that you've learned over the years, um, that you think is helpful, a shift or a, or a way of looking at, at all this that is maybe accessible, something that we can grab onto for, for maybe answering the question, what is God trying to say to me here? Yeah. Um, there's so many ways to go. I think one would be, you already named it, is to start relational, like just to even use that as a frame, like what is my relationship to my place? Um, relationships start by saying, hello, my name is, what's your name? So in our place, what are the names of the birds and the trees and the whatever you're into, flowers um, around you? Um, and then the second thing, so the first one is just like encounter. Um, so try to spend, I don't know, five minutes a day just being outside and doing nothing but being present to what's around. So this isn't like this huge thing, like, you know, sell your house and live in a yurt. This is just like, get to know the place that you are and actually encounter it rather than the, the Celts, the, the Celtic tradition has this, has this idea of like, we don't, we shouldn't travel through a place. We should encounter that place. Like creation isn't a thing to get like pass through, but a place to encounter. Um, and the main places that we encounter creation daily, like that make a big impact in the world is, is what we eat and how we travel. So just being mindful of what we're eating, like, can I grow a little bit of my food, even if it's just some lettuce in a pot? Um, 
and can I be mindful of how I get from A to B? Um, and instead of buying the huge gas guzzler car, could I go electric or <laughs> um, do I have to fly all that way for that holiday? Could I instead, I mean, the pandemic's afforded us the opportunity of rethinking how we holiday. Um, yeah, but those, those two, there's other questions about consumption and, um, you know, where we bank, you know, what our banks support, you know, where our mortgages are. Like there's bigger political questions also that I think have to come into play. Um, but as a starting baby steps is just how do I relate to my place and how can I make just a few ethical tweaks just to get rolling in this Something that is that I'm kind of gnawing on, I, I, for lack of a better word, is how we often are asking questions about ourselves and how this all fits with us. And I just I love the shift from uh, kind of our Western individualist kind of self-absorption mindset to saying like the creation is created for God, and so where we partner. With where we have the privilege of encountering things that are created for God, shifts um, shifts things. It's kind of like, well, you get to enjoy something that ultimately is for God, and so be be cautious in the way that you interact with it. Yeah. Well, I uh, so appreciate your willingness to meet online with a couple of strangers. Doesn't get much stranger than two people in a garage. And uh, so we really look forward to meeting you in person someday in your place and would love to walk with you and have you open up your place to us and, and, the, and reciprocate by having you here in mission sometime. We'd love to show you around and get to know you. So thanks so much for being here with us. And yeah, I hope, thank you. Oh, well, it's been a treat. Thank you. Thank you for listening and a special thanks to Leah Costamo for her time and expertise. Thank you to our silent sponsor and our very supportive church community. Join us again in two weeks when the re-podcast dives into the topic of peacemaking. This has been episode 12 of the re-podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before.